0: Hi, this is Cynthia from What Career Do I Pick? podcast. This is a place for you to hear from different professionals working in different industries and disciplines and learn about what they do for work and why they enjoy doing what they do. The goal here is for you to learn about the different types of jobs that are out there with the hope of potentially giving you a little bit of clarity in terms of the type of career that you might want to follow after graduation. Today we will be talking about continuous improvement and I'm very excited about this episode because continuous improvement is a super interesting discipline that not many people know about. I'll be discussing continuous improvement with Daniel Moylan who has over 10 years of professional experience overall including over five years of experience in the continuous improvement field. And today, he is a continuous improvement leader with a passion for improving ways of working. He's a great example of someone who has started his career in one place and has pivoted into a different direction in order to pursue his passion. One of the key takeaways here is that it is okay if you decide to change gears and pursue a different career pathway later down the track. It is just part of our journey as we learn about ourselves and about the world as well so let's make a start hello hey how are you
1: yeah good thanks
0: thank you for putting aside some time to having a chat with me i'm Ah, very excited i find like continuous improvement is um it's a domain that not many people know about but it's so exciting super interesting very meaningful so i'm very excited to to this, um, put this episode together with you.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, there's almost no one who I can just say the name of my title to, and they are able to understand what I do for a living.
0: Do you find that whenever you tell others, that you know, I do a continuous improvement, blah, 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 do they go like, oh, what, what exactly is that? So do you have to explain yourself every single time?
1: Yeah, might- I haven't really gotten good at it either. Just like sort of fumble through an explanation. Yeah. Um, it is, a, I suppose it is a pretty broad profession, though, because it's described continuous improvement. It's an umbrella term for at least sort of a dozen different specialties, like me- methodologies that someone might be an expert in. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's it's a bit hard to explain because yeah. it is quite broad.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the, the name of this discipline itself sounds pretty vague anyways.
1: So, mm.
0: yeah. I would like to start this, um, I guess, the conversation by maybe rewinding back in time, and it would be good to have a chat about, you know, what did you do in uni, and how did you end up in continuous improvement since graduation, for example?
1: Yeah, I finished high school, so Victorian Certificate of Education, Mm -hmm. and I went straight into um, a diploma in multimedia, so I got, did two years at TAFE, Mm -hmm. and... Got my diploma in multimedia and then spent the next year working for a builder as a laborer. It's pretty sort of extreme differences. And yeah. then um, I was working there, quite enjoyed that stuff, but I just felt like I hadn't, I wasn't learning is probably not the right word because you learn so much building, but learning like book learning and sort of ed, that sort of education. Yeah. So I went back to uni mm-hmm. and I did a degree in psychology and a degree in marketing, which I haven't used either of them. I suppose the today the message in me, until in there, today Until today yeah <laughs> I suppose the, the the message in there is that there's not always this direct correlation like do marketing at university get the job in marketing do psychology get a job as a psychologist like there's there's just so many jobs out there that challenging yourself might just lead to something else but then I I had a range of jobs did a bit of travel had a range of jobs that I just fell into because a guy that I was living with in a shared house had an opening at their work or one of those was a building job. And the other one was at a um, financial state street. They're called. Uh, um,
0: financial planning.
1: Yeah. It's kind of a financial advice, but for other companies. Uh, okay. Investment management for in- institutional investors. But yeah, they've got, I think they've got private arms in mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. So that was like backpacker job basically. But I happened to be there during the um, global financial crisis, which was really fascinating because they that Monday morning when um, the financial world changed, so did any sort of understood way of doing your work like that the very well-defined processes that we had, that we'd always mm-hmm. had. And it was almost like, by the end of the first day, it was almost like, let's just pretend we've never done this before. Mm-hmm. All the rules are different. The whole world's different. What are we going to do tomorrow? Which is a little, was probably a little hint into continuous improvement. It was like, what do we need to do to ensure we deliver a quality outcome to our customer? We know what they want. Let's take all of those steps back to figure out how we're going to get it. But I went from there, had a sort of similar job in just another place overseas, and then Came back to Australia and just got a like an agency job and I was was working in another private wealth manager and there was two jobs in the team. One person's job was to check new account opening documents to make sure that they were complete and accurate and then the other person's job was to tap all the data into a system to open up a new bank account and that was it.
0: So data entry and then compliance or sort of, is it compliance check? What? Not really...
1: Quality track. Quality assurance. Yeah. Quality assurance and then, yeah, data entry. I think I was doing that for about a year, but there was a really big moment in there where the only time I'd worked in a really process-driven job before that, I worked at Macca's for a while when I was in my teens. And at McDonald's, someone has figured out the very, very, very best way to do everything to ensure that the cheeseburgers are exactly the same like you're in anywhere in the whole world you bite that cheeseburger and it tastes exactly the same and they've put so much work into making that moment and you think about they've done it with coffee yeah coffee from mcdonald's anywhere it tastes exactly the same it's like it's pretty good and all the effort that they've gone into those standards all the way down the supply chain to the moment like all the kids in the back doing their little bits to deliver that product to the customer the variation's tiny they're able to just do it over and over and over again when I was at this banking firm, I just assumed that that was the way the world worked. Like someone had just figured out the best way to do everything. And that person, you sort of sit down at your job and the person next to you teaches you how to do everything. It never occurred to me that no one had put any thought into the best way of doing something, best way of documenting that, like a, you sort of call them standard operating procedures or just the instructions for how to do your job. And that everyone was just sort of having a crack, like just... Just sort of churning through, trying, trying, trying. I remember someone saying to me, "You're getting, you're getting to know this job pretty well. Would you mind reviewing our standard operating procedure to see if you can make any improvements, to see if you can um, streamline it at all?" And I just remember sitting there thinking, that having that McDonald's in my mind, I suppose, just thinking, how is it possible that this hasn't happened? Like, that's how are we opening up all of these bank accounts? Just like just through sort of luck, not by design. And it's like, it sounds pretty stupid sitting there in the, I was in the team one, the checking the account documents team, but we've got stuff like if you look at, uh, there's been a Royal commission into banking recently and the stuff around um, anti-money laundering and provision of advice. That was the sort of work that you were doing during the checks of account opening. So you get it a little bit wrong and there's huge consequences. Mm -hmm. Like you're not creating money laundering, but you're allowing your institution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You can hugely stuff things up for your customers, for your firm, that sort of stuff. But just going back to that point of this stuff wasn't happening through design, it was just kind of Mm -hmm. getting piled on top of each other. So, yeah, that was a really big moment for me. I was just thinking we can make this better. We're allowed to. And there's a few years later in my career, I heard a quote that um, nothing is so good that it cannot be made better. And that's like, that's McDonald's world. It's like, I know that we're doing this good, but let's get into those tiny little, like, how can we just dial this thing up half a percent type territory? So yeah, that, that moment led me to feeling like I had permission to question whether mm-hmm. there was a better way to do things which led me to you think about opening up a bank account yourself if if you're the customer and you go to all this effort filling out the account opening forms you get mm-hmm. your id certified and you have to go down to the chemist to get it stamped and this was back in the days where this was actual paper like paper and pen stuff, 80% of the account documents that we got given that hit our tray would have to go back to the customer because something wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. And you just take a step back to imagine that from the customer's perspective just over and over again. You're going upstream back to the client advisor who's making a new appointment with the customer who just wants, they just want to trade. They just want to get their money in there so they can invest things. But And the sort of time it took to first get to our desk and then go all the way back to the customer and then all the way back again, met with this new sort of stimulation for I'm allowed to make these things better. Yeah, I suppose that was the very, very first moment. I thought um, I want to do this stuff instead of the being in team one where you just check account docs. And um, I think from there, I just built that into my day-to-day job. I just sort of got deeper and deeper into it. And started so suggesting sort
0: of, things. Oh, uh, so you started carving out your own role but focused on continuous improvement. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, but not at this point I didn't know that continuous improvement existed. I didn't know that any of the methodologies that you use, which I'll probably cover a few, existed. It was just uh do we think there's a better way that we could do this? And then I luckily got out of that team and got into a, a risk team, which building on top of, is there a better way we can do this? You've got, is there a better way that we can ensure that we've got our controls in place so that we're meeting our um, regulatory obligations so that we're not letting money laundering in the gate so that we're um, investing people's money wisely, that sort of stuff. So you get into this much more deliberate, improving the way that we do things.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, by design.
1: Yeah. And then just because i I was turning into someone that was getting much better at that just because of my own inquisitiveness. Someone identified that and tied me up with some training in lean Six Sigma, which is lean, lean meaning uh, stripped of fat. So, Removing the waste from something, making it trim and efficient and streamlined. Six sigma is a bit of a bit of a long one, but it means um, essentially having very 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 little variation in being able to produce something over and over again. It comes out of manufacturing, and I already had this inquisitiveness. And a few examples of me doing this thing myself. And that sort of got mashed up with this deliberate way of doing it. This, he's like, someone's actually thought about all this stuff, put it into a methodology and here's some training Mm -hmm. on it, which was a real, it was a huge boost for me. Like I was, I was able to put this stuff into words. I was able to actually follow a, um, a methodology rather than just sort of blindly thinking what should i do next and i got to this point where um if i haven't given it away already wasn't too keen on the finance world and i wasn't too keen on the um quality assurance so i wanted to get out of finance and i wanted to get into continuous improvement and i was able to Mm -hmm. because i had all of this experience from just improving things off my own back just Mm -hmm. through my inquisitiveness i was able to turn that into responses to key selection criteria
0: I could provide Mm. evidence
1: of a time that I had delivered this much benefit to a customer, Mm -hmm. save this much money for the firm, that sort of stuff. But not, you know, no formal qualifications. We've talked about the uni stuff. Like it Mm -hmm. was just I could prove that I had delivered this much benefit Mm -hmm. for my employee, uh, my employer and my customers. So, yeah, I I got a job at a local government just based basically on me being able to describe Mm -hmm. how I'd gone about delivering these improvements. Yeah. And um, that was probably a moment too, just getting into an organisation whose purpose is 100% for the community around them. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about uh, childcare, aged care, um, even sort of cleaning, mm-hmm. keeping yeah. the place clean, keeping the place. In council world, they use like vibrancy and placemaking and all this <laughs> sort of stuff. But it's, um, it's all very important. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, getting out of – I suppose the what I got out of that was I was doing stuff that I enjoyed doing and I was really well aligned to the impact that it was having. I spent about four years there and then got a similar role in higher education, so I'm mm-hmm. at RMIT today. And, um, yeah, I think just I suppose from that moment where I found out that there's a you're allowed to try and improve things and that no one's – no one's thought of the best way to do everything. Yeah. I sort of haven't haven't looked back.
0: It, it's funny. I think um, if we are sort of embedded in an environment and this is all we know, this is all we learned, such as McDonald's, um, for example, um, thinking that you know this is the way, this is the normal way of doing things. Um, we only realize that actually it is not when we actually go to other places, and w- we then sort of realize what better practice means or what a better practice is and I sort of echo your sentiments around you know it's sometimes a bit unbelievable when we come across certain ways of doing or processes that you know it's some very very simple things that you can do tweak change to sort of create massive results of improvements but for some reason people are not doing that um, I don't know if they're too busy or they don't care, or like you said, maybe no one has actually thought about making actual meaningful, purposeful changes. So it it, it can be a, it's it's a bit weird.
1: If a really large group of people all figured that out at the same time, it would be awful for me because that's that's the only thing that's keeping me <laughs> occupied. It's this little secret. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. But I do think I do think. Um, like my my personal opinion is I do think we should have separate teams or dedicated resources that are focused on continuous improvement, focused on making things better, not only for staff within the organization, but also for customers. Because then that means that other people that are doing, let's say, if we, if I think about retail, now we have retail operations, you have the people that are buying the products that are being restocked into the shelves. Those people can actually focus on their day-to-day job. Instead of thinking about, okay, what are the things that I need to change here, here, and there? But do n- you know what I mean? Like they can focus mm. on the core piece of work and then continuous improvement. Like people with um, more maybe capacity, uh, dedicated resources with more capacity can have that focused approach to improving the way things are done from beginning to end. The, I guess this is my, I don't know. What, what do you think? Do you think everyone should be doing Continuous improvement. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think um, there's a balance in there. But if going from a really um, idealistic model, you'd want the majority of people to have a level of awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll sp- to explain that practically, in a model where it's um, I'm in the continuous improvement team and I do 100% of the continuous improvement activity and the retail employee does zero, then... It's almost like when I, if I was to improve something for them, it's like they just drop something at my. I call it a shop front. They just drop something on the counter. I take it to the back room and fix it. I bring it back and I go, it's fixed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they never figure out why. Why did it change? What's changed?
0: Mm-hmm. And what do
1: I have to do differently now?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So when we talk about that. Um, if you want to, you know prove something, make a change, you make it better and then put a chalk behind it so it doesn't roll back to where it was. Uh-huh. Yeah. Or another way of explaining it is um, when you fix something, shoot for a 100-year fix. You don't want to come back and be fixing the same problem in a few years' time. So mm-hmm. if, there, if everyone, well, not everyone, but a lot of people have some sort of understanding of the ability to identify wastes, mm-hmm. inefficiencies, that sort of stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And enough ownership of the solution to be able to say, we wanted to do this. We made these change for these reasons. And that's why we do things this way now. Mm. Mm. Um, Because a year later, the person that you delivered the improvement to has left. Someone else comes in, they go, why don't we do it this way? (laughs) And, you know, that's that's worse than the original way. or Definitely worse than the way that you'd improved it to. So, yeah, I think um, at, at the very least you want, Some level of understanding there and that um, perfect world would be everyone has a reasonable amount of understanding. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine the power of um, the standard sort of project delivery where you Mm -hmm. pump a huge amount of resource into a project that takes a long time to deliver Mm -hmm. versus almost everyone in the organisation working on their own little incremental improvement. Mm
0: -hmm. So you're
1: doing many, 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 many little things that costs almost nothing versus very few mm. big things that cost a stack load of money. Mm. That's your sort of, that's your two dynamics at play, I suppose. Mm.
0: Yeah. And
1: the, I'm obviously very biased towards the incremental one, but um, <laughs> imagine the sort of risk that you, that you don't inherit through incremental improvement that you do in that big project stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you do something very small very often and yeah. you've got, you don't have that sort of barrier to exiting. Yeah.
0: yeah, it's subtle enough and 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 small enough for people to be open to it and learn how to change their little like their ways of working and actually adopt mm. this new improved practice.
1: Yeah, mm. and there's probably one more bit in there around. Um, ideally, you want the person who understands the job the best mm-hmm. to feel like they're in charge of it to Mm -hmm. feel like they own how it's delivered. Like that's that's a very powerful thing. If they say, Mm -hmm. that's my customer, Mm -hmm. I'm here to make their experience with us um, as best as it can be.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I'm not just here to do what my manager tells me to do or Mm -hmm. to do it the way that the standard operating procedure tells me to do.
0: So we talked about um, your journey from university or I guess student life to continuous improvement professional, and I think you've alluded a little bit to in terms of why you've decided to jump into or I guess pivot towards continuous improvement. Uh, what about continuous improvement that excites you? What makes it so interesting? Uh, I guess my maybe another way to put it would be why should maybe students or grads consider this? Um, consider continuous improvement as a potential career pathway, for example.
1: Maybe just going back to that point around that model of someone who really owns their piece of the process, their piece of the thing that they're making for the customer. If they're in a position where they realize that things aren't going well, like they've identified that they're duplicating a lot of effort or it's it's fairly frequently that they're um, customers not getting what they asked for their customers sort of unsatisfied and they feel that personally like if they're that sort of engaged in what they do Mm. then I I get to go and help them improve that and then when I leave their customers happy because they're getting something they're getting a more consistent um, high quality experience but then that person who was really engaged in delivering something from their customer they're they're really happy as well they Mm -hmm. and it's a really great moment that you you learn a lot about them you learn a lot about what they do together you work through a problem and they leave feeling really sort of motivated by it and yeah and their customer
0: Mm -hmm. so it's the impact that you you get to make on people
1: and inside that there's you just meet so many different people and you walk into a new engagement. And so the local government's probably the best example because the local government's essentially 20 or 30 different businesses that have all been jammed into the one building. I use that childcare example. There's someone in the building that is a childcare teacher and there's someone else in the building that mows lawns type thing. There's just... You know, there's no other way to describe why they would be in the same building other than that's a local government building. <laughs> so you have a new engagement and you just sit there and learn about, well, how, why do we mow lawns? How do we mow lawns? Mm. Um, how long have we been doing that for? And then you meet all of these different people and you um, understand what motivates them. And then you, if that's one meeting, for example, you leave that meeting room in the old world mm-hmm. um, or you get off your Zoom chat and you go into another meeting and it's a completely different problem, completely mm-hmm. different um, occupation, mm-hmm. completely different bunch of personalities and you just, there's something, I suppose that it takes a certain, That's not for everyone, I think, but there's that real personal side to it mm-hmm. um, which isn't always, it's sometimes a huge challenge. Like, I know you're, f- um, got a huge consulting background, and you'd probably appreciate that more than anyone. You, um, you don't really get an option there, mm. so you just have to find a way to make it work.
0: But mm-hmm.
1: that's quite motivating. And the last bit's probably, um, I suppose that example of being the person who checks the account documents.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You don't actually do anything anymore. You sort of work on people's businesses, but you don't work in them anymore. Mm-hmm. So you never. You probably never work on something for long enough to get really sick of it. Uh-huh. You get that really nice honeymoon period. You understand it pretty well. Hopefully it goes well. It doesn't mm-hmm. always go well. But then you're out before you've gotten to that point where you're like, mm. I've mastered this and I'm sick of it. Yeah. 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 So it's uh, it's sort of like, um I suppose if you're a builder, you finish one building mm-hmm. and then you start another one and that's almost like... A career change it can be really Mm -hmm. sort of refreshing changes as good as a holiday Mm -hmm. you get to experience that feeling quite a lot yeah just new new problem new people
0: yeah yeah i i relate to that because in like in consulting we work in projects as well and one of the great things about consulting is that um a project has a finite end so it ends after maybe four weeks or six months so you do get that diversity. So you get to work in different projects with different people, with different clients, different industries. So you get the diversity, you get to learn a lot, um, like continually, you, you're continually challenged, continue, you get to continually learn. Uh, so the analogy that you gave about, you know, it's like changing jobs every single time. So everything's, you know, um, you get the freshness mm. at work, but also on the... <laughs> So uh, on top of that, you also get to, you don't get bored. You don't get bored. And um, if there is a particular, let's say stakeholder or a manager or whoever that might be, you know, a bit unpleasant to work with, you know, that you will end. <laughs> so that's another perk. Yeah,
1: not a prison sentence.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Either. Yeah, so that was one of the great reasons of doing consulting project work for me. Yeah, Mm. so I can relate to what uses. Yeah, you just said. Before we sort of uh, unpack uh, continuous improvement a little bit more, would it be possible to explain briefly? I think not based on the conversation today, we've gave a pretty good description in terms of what it is. So actually, I don't know if we need to do that. I'm just wondering whether you could explain you know for someone that's never heard of continuous improvement uh, how what would be the best way to sort of explain to this person what it is
1: I'm still not good at it but my latest attempt to explain it is through and is through examples I think you use an example where a lot of people are familiar with which might be like a utility company or a Um, telco or something and so within that example continuous improvement is the difference between one provider that you had that didn't respond to your request for months or ever, who didn't pass on your message to the right team who charged keeps on seeming to charge you for fees that you've agreed that they wouldn't charge you for fees anymore all of those Annoying things that the customer feels that the teams inside the um, whatever company it is, they don't really care about too much because they're sort of, well, sorry, internal policy or that's the way we do things here or um, mm. it's not my fault, it's the other teams. So, it's probably the difference between that and that that other provider that you switched to because you got so frustrated mm-hmm. who's everything just happens the way that you thought it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. So, You think that maybe they'll have an app and they do. You -hmm. think that when you open up the app, there's going to be a notice there to pay your bill Mm -hmm. and it's it's right where you thought it was going to be. You think that they should notify you when it's time to pay your bill rather than you having to go and find it. The notification arrives. You call them up, they listen. They've got the sort of ability to make a few decisions there on the spot. They don't have to go and ask their manager or ask the other team and they come up with a solution that fixes your problem and they sort of, it goes away type thing. The example one is a team that is a company that doesn't have a profession like mine. Mm. An example two is a company that lives and breathes the stuff. Mm. um, They're completely focused on delivering quality to the customer and they understand that that's all that matters. In business, you deliver what the customer wants over and over, over, over mm-hmm. and over again. You get customers, you keep them, mm-hmm. and you cut all of the other cost out of your business that is anything unrelated to delivering quality from the customer's perspective.
0: So, continuous improvement works well for not only. No processes or ways of working that are maybe internally facing, but also externally facing. So it can be about the customer, but it can also be about improving certain ways of working within, let's say, a finance team. So there's no the delineation, right? So in terms of yeah. your functional scope, it could could cover anywhere in the organization.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's many, many ways to sort of, I suppose, understand that dynamic and one of them is that everyone in an organisation, no matter where they sit and what they do, uh, indirectly leading to something that's delivered to the customer. And if they're not, then they should absolutely stop what they're doing. And the other thing is that there is you have internal customers, so no one, no one cares about payroll until the pay's wrong. Yeah. But they've got every everyone's a customer of payroll, and what they do is they have to be able to deliver the exact same thing every fortnight without one mistake. So, you know, Mm. valuing the customer's perspective and payroll is is incredibly um, important. Mm. But, yeah, I I suppose that's – and there's sometimes a challenge in there helping people understand who their customers are and what they value, Mm. especially when you're getting, like, those sort of internal services, like finance, um, Mm -hmm. enterprise project type team IT, maybe, mm-hmm. for them to really understand that, yes, they do have customers, their customers Just do have needs and mm-hmm. emotions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. When it comes to doing continuous improvement, is the focus, so if we try to unpack it a little bit more and sort of we discussed a little bit in terms of what, customer, um, what continuous improvement is, is and who it impacts if we unpack it and go to the next level detail in terms of how does continuous improvement happen? Is, is continuous improvement typically focused on processes? Is that the starting point? Are you sort of making improvements to processes or it can be more than that? For example, technology change, so changing your tools or consolidating you know, three similar tools and sort of replace it with one tool so at least you're using the same exact tool across the organization for example would that fall into the remit of continuous improvement or is it mainly process related
1: yeah i think um it's a I think it's a really good question there's i think in its most like the majority of the work that a um, team like mine would do would start at that process improvement level but hmm. um before I was talking about how there's many different sort of specialities within this big umbrella term. And one of them is service design
0: mm-hmm.
1: where, and this is something that I suppose if it's of interest to anyone, you could just type in service design or service blueprinting, which is um, trying to understand a, a whole service from end to end, a service being something that the definition being something that someone can come and ask for.
0: internal, external
1: service. Yep. And then that same person can get, they get something. So when you try, when you, that profession aims to consider the whole entire service. Well, sorry, the the service that you deliver to the customer Mm -hmm. and every single thing that contributes to the customer receiving that. Mm -hmm. So playing that out with an example, probably like the, what's the iPhone store called? Uh, it's got a cool name.
0: Apple Genius? Apple, Apple Store? Something. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not an Apple user.
1: <laughs> yeah. I,
0: Apple? Isn't it? We'll still iTunes? use it.
1: We'll still use it as an no. example. Okay. The actual <laughs> sort of walk-in desk that you, the walk-in store that you go uh-huh. to. Yeah. If you're thinking of the service, it's the service starts when the customer realizes that their phone stopped working or they need a new phone or apps not working, whatever it is, and then they go through a series of steps before you've even seen them or you know that they have a need, but they finally walk in the door. Your service has already been going for maybe weeks Mm -hmm. before you were even aware of this person. Yeah, And then they walk in the door and they they get presented with lights and colour and options and a queue and choices and that's all part of the service and their interaction with someone at the desk is part of the service. And that's the simple stuff. That's the stuff that the customer can see mm. that they interact with. But then what else is going on there? There's an FPOS machine, there's a computer. What's What software is being run? They got some sort of customer relationship management system going on. What's happening out the back? Like if I take their phone off them, I deliver it to a phone technician. Are we mm. doing that in the post? Is there a courier? Do we have spare parts? All of this stuff mm. that you like, and to enable that great moment that the customer will have with you throughout that whole journey, all those individual touch points. Mm-hmm. What's all of the things that are contributing mm. to that moment, yep. all the way through your distribution channel, your um, your finance, your yeah, the whole the whole government. Mm-hmm. and that's. I suppose you look at that through within a service. There are many, many, many processes
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there's some that the customer touches or sees yep. and there's some that are more indirect. So oh, we've run out of iPhone screens. We'll have to order another batch because mm-hmm. we know that they take two weeks to get here and, you know, customer doesn't see it, but it impacts them Yeah. if it doesn't go well.
0: Yeah, yeah. well if i'm going to the store i want to make sure i can buy my iphone
1: <laughs> yeah so how many how many iPhones are we forecasting to sell mm. between now and we can get another delivery in how often do we have to put in deliveries do we need a contingency in case there's some sort of shipping issues
0: mm.
1: all of those things that make that great moment for the customer a reality yeah that is that service design
0: the service design and continue, is that um, a sort of part of the continuous improvement umbrella?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes. And okay. I suppose we might get some, um, there, there might be some people listening who have heard of continuous improvement, which should be great. And I suppose the point here is that that's kind of my definition of how I see service designers fitting into the umbrella of continuous improvement.
0: So there's so there's continuous improvement and if we've got service design are there any other types of functions maybe that fall within the continuous improvement umbrella maybe if we focus on for example your team the one that you manage do they do service design or they do do they do something else that's different to that but still within the continuous improvement umbrella
1: yeah so we i suppose the majority of the experience that we have in my team is in what I've mentioned it before, Lean
0: mm-hmm. Six Sigma. Mm-hmm.
1: And it's probably more of that process focused, yep. identifying the-
0: The bottlenecks. Those
1: key repeatable things that happen, understanding them really deeply and establishing mm-hmm. whether are they adding value to the-
0: to the organization, from the, the customer. Customer's,
1: from the customer's perspective,
0: mm.
1: is there yeah, bottlenecks, duplication, What's the quality like? Are we having to repeat that step often?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Those sort of questions, and mm-hmm. you're when people talk about efficiency and streamlining, that's that's the sort of the most common technique, mm-hmm. yeah, to deliver streamlining and yeah. efficiencies. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. The continuous improvement jobs that I've seen, they all require some level of non-six sigma, uh, lean qualifications. Um, in the job ads, is that like um, so is that particular um, background? So if you're thinking about the student who is about to graduate, want to get into continuous improvement, is that particular degree or qualification that they should have in order to become a continuous improvement professional or to enter into this world, for example?
1: There is. It's most of those like the certification happens through a. Yeah, some universities offer it and it'd be called it'd be called continuous improvement or business improvement. I think there's something around sort of business engineering, but they would all mention this lean lean six sigma. But the m- most common way to become certified would be through an external vendor that sort of does this stuff, does lean six sigma or does lean six sigma and project management and mm-hmm. a few other things. Yeah. But I suppose the the message there for anyone who would be interested in this work is that you, a lot of jobs do say um, minimum uh, qualification, Lean Six Sigma, Sigma, and the qualifications come in belts. Like,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I think it's white belt, yellow belt, green belt, black belt, master black belt. Like karate. Yeah, if you um, have enough money, you pay for the course, and then you got to do the work, but you get your cert- certification, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're any good at it. So you could have that certification, and it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to get the job.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's like not to not do that because, and yeah, in this world, you hear about, um, you know, people take a lot of pride in being lean Six Sigma black belts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like mastery. But you having the actual experience, I suppose, following my pathway of being able to say, I understood this problem. I did these things and delivered this much benefit. Um, Being able to show that in a job interview, Mm. you're probably just as likely to get the job as someone who's got Mm, the
0: the qualification.
1: Probably more likely because if they rock up at the same interview and say, here's my Lean Six Sigma black belt and you're unable to... Describe how you've ever used it in a meaningful way. You're probably not going to get the job. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's an interesting one with the qualifications. It's it's probably a, a good example of being able to kind of fumble your way there without having to actually have a certificate, a qualification, mm-hmm. like a, a document that you're holding on to. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah, it sounds like um, similar to consulting in order to get into the continuous improvement world, it's less about your qualification, your degree, or what did you do in uni? It's more about how do you use your maybe transferable skills and experience and apply it and sort of of demonstrate that they are relevant to continuous improvement, essentially. So you wouldn't be biased, like when you're hiring, let's say for grads, you wouldn't be biased towards someone that's that's done business engineering versus a Bachelor of Commerce or a Bachelor of Arts, for example, or no. Um, no. Yeah. Wouldn't look at it. Yeah. Yeah. No. More about the experience, about the maybe character and attributes.
1: Yeah. I think um, that's a really, really good point around continuous improvement. It, it requires, if it is that sort of entry level, well, not entry level, like grad level, you want, how do I just, I was going to say someone who gets it but it's um, there's there's a, an analytical mind, and that sort of that sort of mind that just likes the, I suppose inquisitive is the right word, just wondering why does it happen like that? Why do we do things that way? Yeah, and I think it's if if you don't have that natural feeling um, in your life outside of careers. It, it may not be the right path for you, mm-hmm. but I suppose if I'm sitting in the interview panel and it's that sort of job where it's someone who doesn't have much experience, like the the job that I'm hiring for, I don't need too much experience, I'm listening more for examples of that inquisitiveness, much, much, much more than I'm looking at
0: mm.
1: whether someone's got a degree or not mm. or for that matter what it's in.
0: On paper, Yeah. So it's yeah. about sort of being curious about the problem, the challenge that they're facing it can it doesn't doesn't need to be about work, even in their personal lives. If there's a problem sort of being curious about why this problem is happening, what's the root cause, how can I fix the root cause instead of the symptoms, for example
1: yeah, why yeah. is this thing actually going wrong? Yeah and that's I yeah to a certain extent it's something that people naturally have or they haven't which is absolutely fine but it's yeah you probably find it really frustrating if that's not you mm, mm. as an as an occupation
0: mm, yeah because i assume that so like in continuous improvement you're solving you're solving big problems and if you sort of come up with a solution or a tweak or a change to a process, but you ended up changing, you end up changing something that's actually not causing the issue. You might make maybe more, you might cause even more issues later down the track because you're not fixing the root cause of the problem.
1: I was just uh, thinking I'm, cause I'm in this, um, I'm obviously in a garage. I had that like an analogy of if you don't enjoy the like if you've I don't know vacuum cleaner breaks down or the
0: Mm -hmm.
1: door starts getting jammed or whatever it is if you Mm -hmm. don't enjoy that bit from realizing that something's gone wrong Mm -hmm. to figuring out why it's got wrong if you're like that I just want it fixed I'll go and buy a new one if you don't Uh if that moment doesn't make you tick then this profession's not for you
0: (laughs) 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 So just conscious of time, I might just sort of close this episode with just one more question. So if there's a student who's graduating today and they, or maybe they're graduating this year, they're starting their very first job next year, I guess based on your own experience, you know, having studied, graduated and worked for over 10 years, um, what would be maybe one piece of advice that you will give them, As they embark on their career journey, something that maybe you, an advice that you got in the past that has worked really well for you, or it could be something that, you know, you wish you had known when you started your career, Could be anything, any closing remarks for the students or grads?
1: That question around if there's something I I wish I had have known, it's probably finding out what, maybe going back to the example of the vacuum cleaner or the door, finding out what makes you tick what sort of gives you that satisfaction in life and follow it follow it and it will lead to a career path and it will lead to a career path that you find stimulating you find motivating whatever it, whatever it is that thing that you would do in your spare time for free because you just enjoy it and you know that's <laughs> to a certain extent for anyone who's sort of spending their time 20 spending 24 hours a day at Parties or that sort of stuff. Um, And that other, I suppose the piece of advice, so a bit further in my career that I got was don't pass up an opportunity because you don't think you're ready for it. I I feel like early on in my career, I was really worried that if I tried to do something that I hadn't done before, I would be bad at it. And I really had to push myself, like throw myself into the deep end a little bit to Mm -hmm. do things that I hadn't done before and now I basically I'd only say no to something if I knew I wasn't going to like it or it's completely different to um, something that I want to do but if it's something that sounds interesting don't worry about whether you've done it before whether you feel like you're going to be good at it or not Mm -hmm. just you'd be really surprised how quickly you pick things up Mm -hmm. and how sometimes those um, opportunities don't come up again. You never mm. realise. You say yes to something and it, it could be the moment that leads to a great career a great, I don't know, you, I don't want to make it too rosy, you know, like it's this fairy tale, but, you, yeah, don't say no to something because you're worried mm. that you're not going to be any good at it if that's mm. the only thing holding you back. Just say yes, have a try. Um, it's okay to fail, yeah. but you won't. You'll figure it out.
0: Yeah. I find that when we say yes to something, even if it's something that's sort of pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone, more and more doors open after that. Mm-hmm. And once you say no, then yeah, like you said, you might not get the opportunity again, or people will not even think about you anymore. Um, They won't offer it to you anymore because maybe you're not the right, like maybe you're not the right person. Um, Once you've said no, you know, Um, I find like, yeah, pushing ourselves outside of our comfort zone always can only bring good things.
1: Yeah, and that's actually a really good point. I was only thinking it from the individual's point of view, like um, having your own self-belief that you can have a crack at something new and um, pick it up really quickly. But uh, that perspective of of an employer is probably true as well where you have a crack at something, throw yourself in the deep end Mm -hmm. and do really well at it, Mm -hmm. That that gets noticed for all time and you get thrown the next challenge and the next challenge, which is where yeah, you're essentially talking about rapid career development, aren't you?
0: Mm, yeah. Like, um,
1: going down the fast lane.
0: Yeah. 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 Cause once you say yes to something and you do it, you do it well, you prove them that you're capable of learning, picking things up fast, people will be more open to giving you more and bigger opportunities because you've proven yourself. And along the mm. way you get that plus you learn, more about yourself and you develop yourself as well so i think there's too many potential wins and benefits out of saying yes compared to saying no because you're afraid or because you feel like people feel that they're not either ready for it or maybe they're afraid i don't know people say no for different reasons um but sometimes it's good mm. to sort of take a step back and think about you know why uh, do i feel uncomfortable about it and actually if i Think about the big picture. If I think about, you know, if I look back 10 years, like if later on down the track, I look back and think about this moment, I like, will I be happy and you no, know, glad that I actually said yes? And if the answer is yes, then very likely that you should, yeah, say yes to the, the opportunity. Mm. Yeah.
1: And if the answer is I'm not sure, then say yes, yes. as well. <laughs> and I find like out. If I the was- answer is, yeah, if it's an absolute, no, I don't want to do that. Like I just would hate that job or um it sounds awful. Say no.
0: Yeah, but it's okay. You anything else, to... say
1: yes. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, it's okay to say no, but I think we need to be more um almost detach or detach ourselves a little bit from it and think a little bit more rationally because our emotions can get in the way a little bit. Mm. But yeah. Thank you so much for having a chat with me, Dan. Yeah, great catching up. And um I hope to see you very soon. I don't know when.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks for the opportunity and great to chat.
0: Yeah. Enjoy oh, your pleasure. week. See ya. so that's it guys for today I hope you enjoyed the episode make sure you do subscribe to our podcast so you can stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as well if there is any specific job that you're interested to know more about make sure you leave a comment on our Facebook post or messages on Facebook at facebook.com slash talk Australia and we'll try to whip up an episode for you take care and until next time bye